0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Timothy 2. That's where we're going to be most of today. Uh... You heard her talk about the parent school, parent nights we're doing. It's going to be great. We're, talking about tech. we're doing a week on technology. We're doing a week on gender studies. What's the difference between boys and girls? What does that look like? It's going to be really good. We're going to do a week on sex, really important sex education. For, see, heads are popping up. I'm going to have more eyeballs now. This is good. Uh, We've we got to learn this stuff. It's going to be great. And then we're doing a yearbook week, which is about creating memories and milestones that will last generations in your family. How do you create those things? And all the way from kids, if you have little kids, little babies, all the way up to high school kids. It's never too late to, to get in front of some of this stuff and invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Obviously, we're kind of looking at it from a Christian worldview, but it's not going to be just scripture, scripture, scripture. It's not, they're not going to feel like they're going to church. They're going to feel like they're going to something to help them be a better parent because every parent wants to be a better parent and these nights are going to help us do it. Six, six o'clock's dinner. Six thirty, get started. It'll go for a while. There's childcare. whole thing's great. If you have uh, high school age kids, just let them free into the city. I'm sure they'll be just fine. Um, just tell them to give them somebody, tell them to come back. So I want to get started to, uh, to set the tone for this, to take a look quickly at Jesus. Uh, keep your finger in 2 Timothy 2. We're not gonna fl- I don't want you to flip your Bibles around, too much noise. My ears are too sensitive to that. So I just threw it up here on the screen. I hope you like these backgrounds. Jillian selected these backgrounds, kind of zany. I don't, know what the- I don't know what they're doing up at Forest Home, but kind of you know weird. Uh, so this is what it says. Um, this is just the first thing. I want you to take a look at this. I'm going to throw it up here on the screen. Um, this is from... Uh, This is from the Bible. Is it on the screen? Can you see? There you go. Uh, It's from Luke chapter ten. Okay. This is the most important commandment. Religious leader, religious teacher of the law. This is someone that's gone to school. They've climbed the the hierarchy in their profession. Like they're now in charge, and their goal is to trick Jesus to kind of catch him into something, um, to make him look like you know the the bad guy. So they're questioning him, and they're saying, well, you know, Jesus, you know, how do you, you know, how do you inherit eternal life? Like that's an important question. How do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus. Comes back to them with a, you know obviously a great answer you know what does the law of Moses say now these guys are experts in the law of Moses they know exactly what the law of Moses says which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength um, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now the religious leader knew that this was the moment that he was going to get Jesus because we're going to really look at what the definition of neighbor was. this is how we're going to get Jesus because back then they have this, this social hierarchy that isn't just based on like where you live like a lot of it is like really economic and these jobs that you have. so the people who have like these lower jobs like they're kind of stuck in like this cycle, um, and those who've elevated to these higher places they wouldn't socialize or consider that person their neighbor, and this is how they're going to get Jesus because now they're going to get Jesus on the record saying that your neighbor really is defined by these social systems and all the people who are poor who are following Jesus are all gonna be offended and we're gonna get Jesus because there's no way he could say that we're just all supposed to interact with one another. That's totally insane, right? Um, and then this is what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said, "Right, uh, love the Lord your God with all your, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, "Right, go and do like Goliath and you will live. And the guy was really upset and that's what led Jesus into the whole teaching of the Good Samaritan. Like The whole idea of the Good Samaritan was the idea that the person who, even though they were against each other, they were there for each other, and they used the Good Samaritan and the Jew, and they absolutely hated each other. These two groups of people hated each other, and that was the example he used to turn the tide of the conversation. Now, here's the thing. When people listened, they were using examples that they would understand in their day, right? They were using things that they would kind of get. They knew that the Samaritans and the Jews were against each other. So everyone understood that story because Jesus was doing something really important. Taking from what we knew was happening um, in culture today, using that cultural moment to share a story, to share a lesson, a teaching, that then we could walk away from that teaching, understanding a little bit more of God's heart and the the kingdom mindset, the the mindset that God had for us and for the world. That's that's the whole idea. So Jesus regularly would talk to and reference these things that were culturally relevant to help us understand something that was of the utmost biblical, spiritual, kingdom-minded importance. Now, a lot of people really didn't like this. Because a lot of people had this mindset. Some of you, if you're taking notes, this is the mindset most people had. Keep things the same, keep the norm, and change absolutely nothing. That was the mindset most people had. Let's just go with things the way they've been going. Let's not make any changes. Let's not you know, do anything weird. Let's just keep, you know, don't rock the boat. Keep things steady. Nobody freak out. Don't touch anything, and we'll be just fine. And that was the idea back then. Now, Jesus had a very different idea. This was Jesus' idea. Abandon the norm. Abandon everything that you thought you knew. Just just forget about all that stuff. And change everything. Everything that you thought was like, oh no, this is kind of agreed upon. No, no, change everything. When me and my wife were dating, I don't know if I've ever shared this story, me and my wife were dating. I went over to her house. We, there, was a, there was a kind of a pool party. It wasn't kind of like a pool party. It actually was a pool party. And uh, after we got done, um, I had to go back to church. We had a night service. We had to go back to church. And so I showered at her house. She wasn't there when I was showering. I was doing that alone. And she was part of the pool party. I want to make that very, very clear just so, so Rod doesn't get emails later. Like, who is this guy? And so after I got done showering, I was looking for a towel. Didn't really know where one was. I left my towel outside. And they, my soon-to-be wife, who we were dating at the time, had towels on her rack. And they were really nice towels. They were wrapped in twine. There was these other towels on it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this this gal, like I've never seen anything like this. This is so great. So I took the twine off and took like the smaller towel off, kind of threw that over there. Took this really nice towel, it was like this is, like nice towel. Wrap myself up, clean myself up. It was so great. And I complimented her later. I was like, Brent, I love this towel. Like this, is the whole your whole system is so beautiful. And she's like, You use that towel. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like the, the towels are maybe. She's like, no, 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 that's decorative. And I'm like, what are you? Wait, what are you talking? About? That was my first experience. My mom didn't do decorative. To- we were from New York. We did towels. Okay, there was towels, and there were rags. Okay, there were towels and there were rags. And if your towel, you get demoted to being a rag, and and the rag goes in the garbage. So like that was me. I was like, wait, wait, no. And, so, and we now at our house obviously have decorative towels everywhere. You don't touch any of them. I'm teaching the boys this. All right. So Jesus, the first thing he would have done was use a decorative towel. He is all about changing the norm. Everything that's like, no. This is agreed upon. We don't do this. He's like, no, no, let's forget about this. If you don't believe me, hop in your Bible later, open up to the book of Matthew, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It was all about identifying things in culture that we all would say, no, no, we've agreed to this, right? We've agreed to this. If someone hurts you, you hurt them back. Like, we've agreed to this. And it's like, no, no, if if someone hurts you, like, love them and show kindness to them. Like, you know, no, if someone hits you, like, we got to get revenge. No, no, if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek. Like, he took the things that we all said, well, no, we agreed to this, and said, no, we, we're going to throw all this out. We're going to completely flip everything. And that's what I love about Jesus. Now, for some of us, we like, that's really like, stressful. Who feels stressed by change? Like, the change is not there. Okay, okay. Who likes change? They're like, I could change everything. I could change where I'm sitting right now. It wouldn't bother me at all. Okay. Here's the thing I love about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says. Chapter 13, this is what it says. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So, why is Jesus the same if he loves change so much? Well, because he knows we as people, we change a lot. We change what we look like, we change what we wear, we change what we do, we change what we believe. Our beliefs change, our thoughts change, our values change over time. When we get new information, things change about us, right? But there has to be something that's constant. Like, there has to be something that doesn't change, something that you can always look to, a truth. That you can always look to and say, yeah, all these things might be changing in my life, but there's something I can look to that does not change. That even when things are chaotic in my life, maybe I got laid off, you know, things are chaotic in my life, me and my spouse are fighting a ton, things are chaotic in my life, like something's happening with my kids, and I just don't know, and something has happened that's broken relationship, I don't know if it's ever going to be repaired. Like, whatever the deal is, that there's something that we can look to that's true, that we can always count on, that's Jesus. So let's talk about truth for a second. When Jesus came, one of his big like, goals, I think he accomplished that goal, was to bring the idea of an absolute truth into the world, that where everyone would look around and say, well, you know, yeah, that's kind of true, or I kind of like aspects of that truth, or man, that's a, a portion of that I kind of like, that Jesus would come in and say, no, no, I'm going to bring what 100% truth looks like, something that you can count on, believe in, put your life in. And that is not changing, that doesn't edit over time, that doesn't change with culture. Something that is consistently true and I am that person. Salvation is that thing. And he brought that to us, brought that into the world. Now, here's the thing. We live in a culture, like the culture now, where the truth, it's like, what's truth? Well, everyone just says, well, truth is whatever my truth is. Like, I'm just going to claim my truth. And whatever that truth is, is what it is. And you've got to deal with that. Now, you might know be thinking, oh my gosh, it sounds like he's talking a little, little political. It's because I am okay? Because religion is downstream from politics. Things that we believe, these systems we put together in the religious system, we see that in the political system. Now, here's the problem, that when we say, oh, well, you know, if we can all kind of have our own truth, then that really means that there is no absolute truth, but that's false, because there is an absolute truth. So, how, how do you deal with that, right? I mean, how do you deal with that? You know, my kid, believes that his stuff is his stuff, <laughs> total lie, his stuff is not his stuff, his stuff is shared among the, the people in the house, which is me if I ever want to use his stuff, which I can if I want to, but a lot of that stuff, you know, I've aged out a lot of that stuff, uh, it, but he's getting into Avengers, so now we have more Avengers action figures, and I kind of feel like you know my love of action figures is coming back, but his brother especially, he has to share with his brother, right? Now here's the thing, if you believe something completely true, you have to defend what you believe, right? I mean, he, I mean that's right. I If you believe it, you have to defend it. You have to speak up for it. So my kid, you know, he has this toy, and he believes it's his toy. And so his brother, Beckett, was playing with it. And he was, he, you know, Beckett has autism, so he, he doesn't totally get all this stuff. Um, and so he's playing with this toy. And my son, Cannon, comes to me. He's like, brother's playing with my truck. And I'm like, well, you know, you gotta share the truck. Like, it just is what it is. Go get a different toy. And Beckett, Cannon, says, this is not okay. And I'm like, well, it's life, so I gotta get back to watching ESPN. So... So he leaves the room, I assume, to get another toy. But what he does is he goes in the other room to get his Mickey Mouse bat. And he comes back in going for his brother. And he starts, and I literally grab him as he's about to come down on his brother. Now that is someone who believes that there's a truth worth defending. (laughs) That it's his truck and he's going to do whatever he has to to protect it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think is true, okay? There's this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that is an explosive letter. An explosive truth that Paul says is worth defending. Now, this explosive truth i 'll be completely honest with you if if you lived back then, you would not want to have publicized probably that you have received this letter this is This is an explosive letter. This is a letter that you would have not posted on social media today. You would have gotten a lot of hate for that. This is a letter that you would probably keep to yourself at your office. you would not have hung this on your door. You would not want people knowing that you believe this because this especially right now, is a toxic idea. Now, why do I say that? Because I believe Jesus looks at the things of culture, the things that are relevant, and says, I got this truth that applies. You know what I love about the Avengers Endgame? Which I love the Avengers Endgame, by the way. I was watching it backstage. That's how much I love it. I unplug the chert, the feed that happens in here. I plug in Endgame, and I'm watching it. This is what I love about it. They're about to do... Anyone not see Endgame yet? Spoiler alert. Really? Are you going to see it? Probably not. You maybe see it? I don't, well, whatever. I'm about to spoil a piece of it, so... <laughs> So they're about to figure out, they're figuring out time travel, okay, which sounds awesome, and it is awesome, okay? They explain it in a very convoluted way, but it's whatever. So they're about to go figure out time travel, and they're testing it with Ant-Man, okay? Very cool stuff, very cool stuff. And they're about to test it, and the Hulk, you know, uh, Professor Hulk's there, which is absolutely incredible, and Black Widow's there, okay, and Captain America, all, all my favorites are there, and, uh, you know, Black Widow is making some jokes, she's very hilarious with her red hair, and the Hulk says, the Hulk says, basically about time travel, in response to this comment that she made, he said, listen, time travel, either, either all of it's a joke, or none of it is, pretty true statement, so either this, this is going to work, either we're about to go through time, or he's going to blow up, and we're never going to see him again, very sad, because either all of it's a joke, or none of it is. Here's the thing I love about scripture. Jesus feels that way. Listen, e- either all of it's a joke or none of it is. Listen, either you guys are here because you're like, you know what, I, I buy into this. Or I'm here because I'm, you know, just in case, I'm covering my bases. Either you're here because, you know what, I, I like being in a community of people that, kind of, that believe something, that have a target that they're kind of moving toward. Or, you know, I just like giving money to somebody. And you know, my taxes are, you know, what it is. And so, you know, I'll just show up and, it's, and they have free coffee. Either you're here because, you know what, in this world, there actually is true and false. Like there's real and fake, there's true and false. Like there's something I want my values to be geared toward. I want my life to be meaningful to something and that meaning, that value can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Or, I don't really know why I'm here. Now, now just to speak to that, if you're here for the first time or a friend invited you or you're just not sure the whole Jesus thing, I'm not demeaning that. I love that you're here. But if you're in that exploratory, man, I don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, great, keep coming to church. But there comes a day where it's either like, okay, I'm for this. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to commit to this. And either all of it is true or none of it is. Either all of it is worth following or none of it is. So Paul, as he's sitting in prison during his second, you know, prison stint, which is very incredible to be in prison twice. I've only been in prison once, but this guy's been in prison twice. (laughs) And you know, this is this is what he's saying. Um, he's writing this letter to uh, Timothy, a guy that he has been mentoring, which is why mentorship is so important. Like I saw, I was uh, following somebody on Twitter. And he said, "Imagine if if the church believed in the importance for every Paul to have a Timothy, and for every Timothy to have a Paul. You know, for every older person, and I'm talking older by age and experience, wisdom. You can go back and listen. I gave a lesson on wisdom a few uh, about a month ago. Th- for those with age, experience, wisdom, to find someone who did not have age, experience, and wisdom and mentored them and helped them along, helped them figure stuff out. And how important would it be if young people, the Timothys, who didn't know everything yet, who didn't have it all figured out, would seek out people who had this experience, this time, this wisdom, and help them. And if everyone in the church just agreed, it's like, okay, I agree, we're going to do this thing. Like, we're just going to do it. And if if old guys, like, literally walked around finding young people to mentor, to help out. That's what Paul did. And the young guys, they were actively looking for older people to pour into them. They weren't just like, uh, you know one of, the, one of the things my wife finds most attractive about me? That I seek out older men to help mentor and coach me. To give me uh, leadership, to give me thoughts, to just give me lessons about life. She loves that about me. I'm going to keep doing that because you know what? Happy wife, happy life. I'm going to keep doing that for as long as I can. So Paul's writing this letter, and I'm going to breeze through some of these first verses uh, because we're going to, the meat is kind of near the end. So this is what it says. Um, verse 15, so if you have your Bibles and you can online stuff you'd like, um, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, this is a, a titled An Improved Worker. This is what this section of the letter is, is titled. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. This all makes sense. Be a good worker for the one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So be someone who is correct in what you're talking about when it comes to the word of truth. So truth, this is an important thing. This theme is going to keep coming back up. Avoid worthless, foolish talk uh, that only leads to more godless behavior. Okay, verse 17. This kind of talk spreads like cancer as the case of, and I can't pronounce their names, don't worry, it doesn't matter how long you're a pastor, some of these names are really hard to explain, but um, these guys were guys that actually disbelieved dis- in the resurrection. Um, not that the resurrection wasn't going to happen, but they actually believed that the resurrection already happened. So the book of, of Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica, they were really concerned that they had missed the resurrection, because they heard about it from these guys. These guys were talking about, like, oh yeah, the resurrection's happened, like, you know, you know and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what? did we miss it? Did we miss it? And they're writing to Paul, saying, "Paul, did we miss the resurrection?" And Paul is writing back to them, letting them know that they did not miss the resurrection. They're totally good. Stop freaking out, the, the Thessalonica. Very emotional people in Thessalonica. Um, path of truth. So let's skip down to verse nineteen. But God's truth this is important. The word truth keeps coming up. Stands firm like a foundation stone in its inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Um, in a wealthy home, so this is verse 20, an example is given. So in a wealthy home, utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. Okay, people understand this. Do you have nice china or whatever? Um, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, um, you will be a special utensil, utensil for honorable youths. Youth use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. So this is great. This is great. It's a pickup line, okay? Your wife said, "Hey, you're you're a knife and I'm a fork and we're great utensils. Let's go home and spoon." Like this is this is all great. This is all great stuff. It's all in the Bible. The Bible makes romance really easy. But you know this is the, this is the basic idea. This is the basic idea that there are there are those who are pursuing like this to understand the truth. Like this is all this that example is all written with still within the realm of understanding truth. He's saying to Timothy, "Listen, you need to understand the truth." You need to understand how to talk about the truth. You need to be open about explaining the truth. Like, it's like a utensil. Like, you have the really good utensils that are usable to the master in, in a special situation. And then you have the utensils that are just kind of everyday, you know, in the in the drawer, clunking around. Like, they don't really know what they believe. They don't really know what the truth is. They're kind of everyday, whatever. And it, you Don't be that. Be like the pristine. Work toward that goal of knowing the truth and being ready for the use of the master, Jesus. Be being the master. This is what Paul is saying. This is what he says in verse 22. Run from anything. And we're about to, this is when we really start getting into it. So if you're into taking notes, like, wake up. This is really good stuff right now. Run from everything that stimulates useful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those, um, those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So let's talk about this for a second. Leave this verse up. Let's talk about this for a second because I want to touch on what it, what it means when it talks about youthful lusts, okay? I, 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 oh man, when I saw that, I was like, man, what does that mean? I want to talk about that because it just sounds like cool. Now, this is what it is, okay? When we're young, when we're young people, we have youthful desires. Now, lust, when you usually think lust, you think physical, but it's not physical always. You just have youthful, youthful lusts that want to go after stuff. Maybe sometimes it's physical stuff, but it's not always physical stuff. Maybe it's just, like, the thrill. Like, us as old people, we wouldn't be like, you know what we should do? Let's get our bike and just take it off that hill. And like, whatever happens, happens. And we might fall in the lake. We might fall to our deaths. whatever. Youthful people be, would be willing to take that risk, okay? Most old people are not. More, most young people, you think youthful lust, okay, you think like that thing you want, maybe an item. And a youthful person will literally, they won't think of the future. They'll sell everything they have to buy that thing that they want. So even if they have no clothes in their closet and no, no toys to play with, like, they don't care because they want that thing. They're gonna sell it all to get that thing because their youthful lust is not thinking toward the future. Not thinking big picture, not thinking five steps ahead it 's thinking right now now here 's the thing about youthful lust and you know in any of its fashions here 's the thing values go out the door. With youthful lust, values go out the door. why? because when we 're young we 're learning those values we 're learning the value of looking a few steps ahead in our lives we 're learning the value of what's good right now may not be good for us down the road a little bit we 're learning the values that the youthful lusts the things that are desirable in the moment are probably not great for us long term. We learn values at a young age so we can implement them when we 're older. Imagine taking all the money and the knowledge you have now, but but being infused with all the youthful lust, which is a lack of discernment, a lack of great decision-making. And again, I'm not knocking young people. I'm saying that young people during this young age are learning the values that they'll lean on when they're older. Paul knew this. That's why he was instructing Timothy. Timothy was a young guy. He was saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, Make sure you flee those youthful lusts. I know you're a younger guy, like you, you have a pretty good memory of those, those you know, young passions that you had, not just for people, but for things. Flee those so you can stay focused. You know, if we had all the money and the access to things we had as old people, but still with the youthful lusts, we'd make a lot of really bad decisions because those decisions would be void of values, the values that we developed over time. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When we look at the word companionship, so let's go back to that verse real quick. Uh, can you all see it? There uh, we go. Companionship, okay? Companionship's a really important thing when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to our relationship. Not just our personal relationships. We understand companionship in like the personal relationship romantics. So for any married people, I'm married, and you know, those first couple years, first couple years were, were, were romantic. Right, I mean, there was was a honeymoon stage, and then as the you know your marriage goes, okay, so this is what studies show us that as marriage goes, that the the romantic, that fiery romance, actually starts to decline, and the companionship love, the companionship romance, like that is what takes off. You know, there's a study done. uh, There's a guy named uh, Jonathan Haidt. He wrote a a happiness hypothesis, a great great book. The level of passionate love versus companionate love. Now that's in the context of relationships, right? But we understand that honeymoon stage mentality. And that whole thing happens in the church too. You know, that's why when you first become a Christian, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. I'm, I'm gonna sing worship songs, I'm gonna burn all my you know, non-Christian music, you know, I'm gonna wear Christian t-shirts, I'm gonna burn all my other non-Christian t-shirts, I'm gonna you know, read the Bible, I'm gonna get paper cuts, and be like, Look how many paper cuts I have, look how spiritual I am. And it's like I just love the Bible. And it, that's just what we do. But then that kind of starts to decline and it's like, you know what, I you know, I'm I I'm gonna go to church and I believe the truth and I'm gonna share my faith with people and you start to kind of settle in to this companionate um, relationship with Jesus. It isn't the, oh my gosh, this is the first, because it should be like that. I mean, those first couple moments, those first couple weeks, months of experiencing God's grace should be an overwhelming thing, and then you settle in. You know, if you join a life group, you know, you join a life group and it's like, oh my gosh, this, our life group is so cool. You're all, you know, a rooted group, you're all taking photos and stuff. Like, oh my gosh, we're so great. But then, you know, after time, you know, that excitement, that selfie moment, it kind of depletes, but you, you settle into this companionship relationship with your group that you can really count on each other. Like that honeymoon stage is over and we're moving toward like this thing that, that's companionship. We can count on this. That Paul is saying, surround yourselves with companionate people that you can be together with. That this is an important thing. And he goes on um, to say this 2 Timothy. Now, this is where we really get good, okay? 2 Timothy, uh, verse 23. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant, this is an important word, of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with every difficult person. A lot of difficult people out there. A lot of difficult people. And being a servant, it's a really difficult thing. You know, the, the Bible uses the word doulos. Uh, it's a word for slave, um, for you know, servant, you know, the, the, the lowest of them. That's how Paul talks about himself. He uses the word doulos in the New Testament often to refer to himself as a slave to the master, the master Jesus, um, that we should have that mentality. We should have the mentality of, no, no, we're, we're not here to be right. We're actually here to serve. And we're not going to get into this quarrelsome stuff with people that we disagree with, because even though it may feel good in the moment, That's not how a slave would... Could you imagine a slave going to the master and saying, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You shouldn't believe that. You shouldn't like that. You shouldn't do that. They would be killed. I mean, a master would never deal with that from a slave. And that's what Paul's saying, that he's telling Timothy that we should take the posture of a slave when it comes to how we deal with difficult people. You know, I don't know the last person you dealt with who was a difficult person. I was reading a commentary that said that this passage of Scripture is great for, was it say, uh, it's, uh, it's also great for pastors um, to help handle troublesome people in the church. It literally said this in a commentary. I'm not making that up. Because, and, and so don't laugh at that because it's a true thing. Like, that as we as pastors, as leaders, try and deal with cold, you know, cold, uh, quarrelsome people, difficult people, how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that we continue to take the posture of a slave to serve? That we do it in a way that is kind, in a way that also says, you know, this is true and this is false and we're gonna stick to the truth. How do you do that? It's such a difficult tightrope to walk. You know, there was a study done by Barna And it described people who were engaged Christians. This is what it said. Engaged Christians identify themselves, um, have attachment to the church within the past six months, and strongly agree with each of the following statements. Okay, these are the statements. The Bible is inspired word of God and uh, contains truth about the world. I have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ uh, it is still important to my life today. I engage with my church in more ways than just attending services. I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. So that's what Barna used to define as an engaged Christian. Sixty-one percent. Let's see on the screen. Sixty-one percent of those people, the engaged Christians, believed that if your was it say if your beliefs offended, upset, or hurt their feelings, someone else's feelings, it's probably wrong. of engaged Christians would say that if what they believe to be true hurt, offended, or upset someone else's feelings, that it was probably wrong. Here's the thing. We have a big problem. And here's the problem. There's, There's a misunderstanding of what truth is. There's a misunderstanding of how to hold and stick to truth when times get difficult, and how to share that with someone who disagrees. Now, here's what it says in Romans. Yes, we knew God. So, yes, we knew God. We knew God. It's the first line of verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give, uh, give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools. So they knew God. They knew stuff of God. That's like saying, You know Justin. You spend time around me. You know me. But then when you describe me, you start to make up these crazy stories. Oh man, Justin. He was so cool, but that tail of his was just it was always flapping, touching people. It was weird. People be like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, oh yeah, it's tail, it was nuts. Like oh yeah I know Justin he was so great but man all those all those and, you know, he has these tattoos and stuff and you know and you'd be like oh man but all those tattoos you know, of, you know, of the naked girls like, I just couldn't believe that he looked like that And it's like wait what are you talking about I don't have any like no no yeah that was that was that's who Justin was it, it's a, yeah I knew God I knew God but you know what God God's kind of like uh, this universalist God where it doesn't really matter what you believe everyone gets to heaven God doesn't want to send people to hell hell is so hot down there no sunscreen he wants to bring everyone to heaven it's everything's so great in heaven why wouldn't he want to bring all You know what? We 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 knew God. We we know God. We know God. But you know honestly. God came and kind of set everything in motion. This is deism. Set everything in motion, and then God left. He had, he had other things to do. There's a big galaxy out there. It's like Captain Marvel having a, run, a, lot, of, a lot of Marvel references today. Having to run around all the planets to kind of make sure everything's cool. God, he's just too busy. He he kind of came, but then he left. That's, that's deism. We knew God, but he's just too busy now. We knew God. We knew God. Um, but you know what? There's just, there's more to know, actually. There's more to know. Like there's actually this greater truth that you need to know. That's Gnosticism. So there's this greater truth, this deeper truth that we have to gain enlightenment to this deeper truth to really understand God, to really have hope for the afterlife. That's narcissism. That's not true. And Paul was talking directly against people who said, yeah, we, we, we know God. But they don't really know God because they don't know the things of God. They're confused and then they confuse others. See, that's actually one of, the, one of the worst parts. That they know, they choose not to believe so they know, but they choose not to do it. Like, if you hop in a car and you drive fast without a seatbelt and get in a car accident head-on, you're going to go through the windshield. They know that, but they choose not to believe that. They'll hop in the car and drive as fast as they want with no seatbelt. Like, they, they know it, but they choose not to believe it. Like, they, they've had chicken sandwiches. They know Chick-fil-A is better in every way. But they go to Popeye's and, listen, they know the truth. But they go to Popeye's and they're like, well, maybe there's a better chicken sandwich. We don't know. They know but they choose not to believe or tell others. They actually choose to make up stories. We you know what that leads to? It leads to them claiming to be wise. We know people like this who claim to know stuff, but instead they're utter fools. We know people like this. And you know what we usually do with people like this? We just discount them and shut them down and shut them out. I don't have time for that. I I'm 34. I got a lot on my plate. I don't have a, I don't have a ton of time for dumb people. I just, I just don't, right? Like, I, just, I just don't. So if you're going to come to me and you're going to be like, hey, listen, I know you believe in Jesus, but listen, but don't you believe that the Bible sh- sh- should change with culture? Don't you think, don't you think we have a, like a more progressive view of what the, what the scriptures really mean now in light of current culture? And I'm like, no, 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 listen, culture changes. I don't care what culture is. If if tomorrow culture decides that guys only wear pink, listen, I don't care about that. I'm not buying into that, okay? I like my jeans. I like my, like, you know, very monotone colors. I'm not buying into that. It doesn't matter what culture says. The Bible says, because this is truth, that Jesus didn't come to give a perspective. He came to give the truth. So when people come and they're like, oh, well, I just don't know about that. Haven't you ever considered this? Now, here's where, where I have gone wrong, where I have used scripture to then turn myself to become right, because most people would probably say, say yeah, I don't have time for that either. I don't have time for that. That, that. It sounds stressful. It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like, actually, it sounds annoying, especially if they, they're just so committed to what they believe and what they believe is wrong. I just feel like I'm just going to, it just it kills me. And I can never really change their mind. And that's the worst part of it all. You ever been in an, an argument with someone? And it's like, it's just so obvious you're not going to change your mind. You could, you could literally bring Jesus out. Be like, oh, no, listen, I got the guy. He's going to show you his hands. He's right. He's going to explain to you what I've been saying. So just, just listen up. It's like, you could do that. And it's like, no, no, I don't, believe, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't, no, no, I don't believe it. And it's like, what? so there's nothing that I could do to convince you. And it would drive me nuts, and it would shut me down. Until I look at Scripture. This is what Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 gently, it's the most important verse, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Now again, Paul's writing this while he's in prison. So he, Paul has experienced people who have not gently dealt with him as he's had a very different truth than they do. They, they have a truth. He has, he has the truth. And he was not dealt with gently. This is in prison in Rome for the second time, which is no country club and he's instructing a young pastor, like you'd think that you would say to a young person, hey, make sure you avoid the situations I've got into. You don't want to end up in jail too. Make different choices. No, that's not what Paul's saying because what Paul is talking about is the truth, which is bigger than sitting in prison. Paul knew that. So even though he was dealt with harshly, he's telling this young pastor, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God... Not you, Timothy, not me, Paul, not Jim, not Pastor Rod, not Justin, definitely not Jillian. None of those people, only God. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Here's the thing Satan hates truth, he loves lies. He, he, he totally gets stoked with lies. He thinks lies are the best thing ever. He uh, wants to use any means at his disposal. You know, he has no limits. Christians, we have limits. He has no limits, okay? He has absolutely no limits. He wants to see people in utter destruction. He seeks to kill and destroy. That's his only goal. His only goal is to kill and destroy. It's so much easier to kill things than it is to build things up. If you, if you ever play, or a kid played with a BB gun and shot out a window, you know that. Like shooting out windows is really fun. Like putting in a window is really hard. If you've ever done it, you know that. Like it's, it's so easy to destroy something and it feels good in the moment, right? you take a sledgehammer to a car. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Like I can't believe they're letting us do this. But you know what? Putting a car together and restoring it is really, really hard. It's really easy for Satan to do his job. It's hard for us to do our job. It's so difficult. It's difficult for the Christian to sit with someone who does not believe and says, you know what, your truth is so dumb. It's so difficult for us to sit there and be gentle in our instruction. And, and to say, you know what, God is the one who's going to do the heavy lifting, not me. Here's what's so hard. One, because I think I know a ton of stuff. Most pastors do. So, of course, listen, I'm, I'm going to kill this. They're going to listen and people are going to raise their hands and blah, 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 blah. Listen. People do not save people. God saves people. And as soon as we figure out that God does the saving, it takes the weight off of us to be right. And we can actually just be more of what God wants us to be, which is the fruit of the spirits in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That that actually, when Paul's referencing this, he's directly implying that Jesus' teaching is good, even in a situation like this. Even in a situation where, it's, where you just want to beat your head against a wall, or you want to just log off, or block them, or or just light them up, you just want to go after it, that actually we're called to be the gentle person, and that God's going to do the heavy lifting of changing their heart. Now, here's the thing. There's a, an article that just came out in Washington Post. I was listening to a podcast about it. Washington Post New York Post. And it was an article about how debate and discussion is frowned upon. That if you don't just let people believe their truths, this is a political article, by the way, if you don't let people just believe their truth, it makes you the bad person. Because if you're going to debate and discuss and argue, it means that you don't affirm whatever their truth is, which makes you the, and then it's just a list of words that lists you. None of those things apply to me. I'm sure they don't apply to you either. And then it actually says discussion and debate, it it actually lowers our ability to have a good society, that a good society is built on just everyone believing whatever they want to believe. And us all being okay with that. That's the first thing Jesus would have pointed out, the hypocrisy of. Is the first thing Jesus would have said. That's insane. That there actually is a truth. And this is the truth. And we have to be defenders of the truth by knowing our faith and knowing what we believe and being to articulate it in an elevator. If you can't articulate what you believe in an elevator, then you don't know what you believe. Like, and it may sound harsh, but just for a second, think to yourself, okay, if I was in an elevator for 30 seconds and someone looked at me and like, you smell like a Christian. Are you a Christian? What... What do you believe being a Christian? Should I believe that too? Tell me about your faith. And if you can't in 30 seconds say, I'll tell you what I believe, then you don't know what you believe. It's as simple as that. I mean, it, it can't get more simple. You don't, sometimes you don't have hours with people. You have moments. And that Jesus says, that is a super important piece of us as Christians that we're able to articulate our faith. That those who disagree with us, of which there will be many, we don't treat them harshly. We don't try and win the argument to make the other person the loser that we actually handle them gently. So what does it mean to handle someone gently? I'm going to give you a couple quick examples. It means when someone's disagreeing with you, you don't shut down conversation, you actually listen. Well, isn't that wrong to listen to people's false point of views? No, it's not. My wife listens to all my point of views all the time, and you know, she has no problem with it. It's good to listen. It's good to listen. It actually makes us better, it makes us more like Jesus. Because when the religious leaders walked up to Jesus, he didn't just shut them down. He didn't shut them down. He didn't make a mockery of them. We can go back, if you want, to Luke chapter 10 and the Good Samaritan story, when Jesus is engaging with the religious leader that he knew was there to try and catch him. And yet, he listened and he talked with them. And he shared a story that wasn't about how wrong they were, it was just sharing a story to teach a lesson. Listen if I'm going to model my behavior, I want to model it after Jesus. If Jesus, through Paul, is instructing one of his young pupils to be gentle in how he instructs, then I maybe need to take a step back and ask myself, how do I instruct? Am I gentle? This is the question I want you to ask yourself. How can I live out gentleness to set up God to do the work only God can do? It's a really simple question. How can I live out gentleness to set up God to do the work only God can do? Because it's not you doing the work. God's doing the heavy lifting. How can I live out gentleness with my neighbors, with my family, with people I know, with people I work with, who people that will give every label to me because of how I vote or what I believe or the church I go to? How do I live out gentleness with those people in order to let God do what only God can do? How can I be on my school campus and do that? How can I be on my school campus and be gentle to people who probably disagree with what I think or what I believe? So we can let God do the only things that God can do. Now here's the thing, the band's going to come back up and we're going to go into a time of communion. And this is what I want to think about. We go into a time of communion. This is the moment of us saying yes to and accepting and receiving the gentleness of God. That God would say, listen, I love you. And because I love you, because I care about you, and because you're wrong, and you think you're right, and it's just so cute. I'm actually going to send my son to give his life for you. Because you can't do it by yourself. And the most gentle thing that God can do is to do the thing that only he can do and how he does it for us is through his son Jesus. That we be able to receive this sacrifice that he made for us so that when the day comes that we're sitting in front of the father, the judge, and for all the things we've done wrong of which there are many, which there are many for me. Jesus steps up and says, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. You know, Jim, Pastor Rod, Justin, even Jillian. You know. Listen, I actually took their sin upon myself. I actually paid the price for that. They're good. You can let them in. Because that's, that's, that's it. That's the moment. Now, we do communion not just because we want a snack at church. When I was young, that's what I believed. Luckily, I had great people in my life that helped me understand it as I got older. That when we do communion, we do it to remember and give thanks for who God sent his son Jesus. That while Jesus was sitting there at the table with the 12 before he was going to go to the cross and he knew that's where he was going, he sat with them and they were doing Passover and he passed the bread, took everyone to take a piece. and This is my body that's broken for you. Do this to remember me. And he passed around the cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. Do this to remember me. Remember the gentleness. Remember how I cared, how I sacrificed. So that's what we're going to do today. So, You're going to get up from where you're sitting and there's stations around the room, some here, one there, and there's one back there. This is what you're going to do. You're going to get a piece of bread and you're going to get a cup and you're going to bring it back to where you're sitting. And then I want you to just take a moment and we're going to leave that question up on the screen. How do I pursue gentleness to set up God to do the work only God can do? Just take a moment and think about that. And then take communion where where you're sitting. The band's going to do a couple more songs and then Pastor Rod's going to come up and bless us. So just to be clear, God showed his gentleness to us through his son Jesus. We received that and we do communion to remember that. So get up from where you are, go grab a piece of bread, a cup, take it back to where you're sitting. Think about this question for a moment and then take communion where you're sitting and Pastor Rod will be up in a second to bless us.
1: Father, thank you that you made a way where there was no other way than you came to our planet and you died for us, that we could be right with you. Thank you no one has done what you have done and that we could be the children, the sons and the daughters of the living God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. May that reality live in our hearts forever. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to stand to your feet, and uh, could you put your hands together and thank Justin for bringing the word to us this morning? Great job. It's so great. If you're here this morning and perhaps you have challenges in your life, you have pain in your life, and you need someone to pray with you, Daryl and his friends will be up front. Perhaps you have physical healing that you need or mental or emotional. We would love to pray with you and feel no one should have to go through life alone. So they'll be up here and please take advantage of that. So if you want to extend your hand and put yourself in a position to receive God's blessing, we just want to pray God's blessing over you. And Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. And Heavenly Father, I pray as you look out and see your children, they love you. Would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Would you give them your love and your power? Father, would you give them the gentleness to speak the truth in love? Would you be gracious to them? Would you turn your attention toward them and give them your hope and your strength. Give them your peace. And I pray that you would do this and more and that you would bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you next week. Have a great day.